Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Morbidly Beautiful is your one-stop shop for all things horror content related from interviews, reviews, top 10 lists, and everything in between. They also have an extensive library podcast, which I highly suggest checking out after this one here, including my latest one called Cheer and Loathing, where Stephanie, the owner of Morbidly Beautiful, and I bicker about movies for an hour and a half or so. It's fun. You should go give that a listen, too. But on to today's episode. We took a little bit of a break from true crime last week, so we're going to stick it back in there and do it again this week with a very interesting case that takes place in my home province of Ontario. Apparently Ontario has some really good true crime, which I haven't really explored just yet, but this might be the start of it, so who knows, maybe we'll be on a little bit of a Canadian true crime kick. Regardless, this one is about a woman who was married for eight days before being found dead in just nine inches of water during her honeymoon. The case was called The Eight Day Bride, and it features the death of 22-year-old Christina Kettlewell. Now this is a weird one, as they all are, because they're all unsolved mysteries. So you find me a non-weird unsolved mystery and maybe I'll do it. But this one, again, strange, just like every other one. This is the case of Christina Kettlewell. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. Just like any good true crime case, this one goes all the way back in time to 1947. And as I said, it takes place in Ontario about probably the three hours, maybe four hours from where I live currently. Just north of Aurelia, there is a place called Severn Falls. And that is the fateful place where Christina Kettlewell took her last breath. Now, it was on May 20th that her body was discovered just about 150 feet away from their honeymoon cottage. Who's there? Well, that would be her brand new husband, John Ray Kettlewell. The pair had just eloped and had been married for a little over eight days at the time of this whole shebang going down. Now, the pair did know each other for three years, and Christina's family did have some concerns about the marriage, most notably that A, John was not a Roman Catholic, which Christina's father was, being a Polish immigrant at the time. However, he did convert to kind of appease Christina's parents. Secondly, they had a weird friend who would always hang around. And that weird friend was Ronald Berry. He was an Italian immigrant who attempted to establish himself in the construction and insurance business, but didn't really succeed but he was a professional ballroom dancer, which I don't think plays any role. It's just kind of an interesting factoid about the guy. So why is this weird? Why don't they like this guy? Well, as I said, he hung around a lot. It was almost like the pair, Christina and Jack, or John, he went by Jack, were in a thruple of sorts. Everywhere the pair went, he was right behind them. The ultimate third wheel. And it became even weirder when after the couple eloped, Ronald well, went on honeymoon with them. Hmm. Suspicious. Now, there are a lot of accounts that believe that maybe Ronald was actually in love with Christina or maybe even John at the time. However, given the time frame, homosexuality wasn't really a common thing to be 
had, and there was still a lot of stigma about it. So what's the time frame here? What's going on? What happened after the elopement? Well, after the Kettlewells got married, they spent a few days in their apartment in Toronto. However, as I said, they were not alone as Ronald joined them for a few days before they all left to go to Ronald's remote cottage in Severn Falls, which could only be accessed by boat. Now that may sound weird, but there are a lot of small little cottages on basically islands in the middle of lakes in mid-Ontario. I don't want to call that northern Ontario. It's not by any stretch. It's not southern either, so it's like middle Ontario. I digress about the geography of Ontario, though. So now we have a pair on their honeymoon, joined by one of their friends going to a cottage basically in the middle of nowhere, especially around this time in 1947. Now today, this is a bustling sort of cottage country. There's a lot of people up there, especially compared to 1947. So they're in the middle of nowhere. There's three of them. There's a potential love triangle going on, maybe a thruple, maybe some weird, I don't know, jealousy thing happening between at least two of them. It's very hard to say what was going on at this point. But what we do know is that three days after they arrived on May 20th, Christina's body was found in nine inches of water, 150 feet away from the cottage. And the body was found by one Neville Sweet, who is the owner of a boathouse in the area. Upon investigation, her body was free from any burns or any signs of violence whatsoever. An official autopsy later found traces of codeine in her stomach, but her ultimate cause of death was declared as a drowning. Christina's death wasn't the only weird thing to happen on this trip. Although it was probably the most severe and tragic, there was a lot of weird things going on, such as Christina started to act out of character. It was reported that she would go into crying fits, while at other times seemed completely dazed and out of it. And if they found codeine in her stomach, maybe that's part of the reason why. Evidence and reports suggest that maybe Christina and Roland were growing a little bit closer with their friendship, and there are reports saying that they had conversations with each other about whether or not John truly loved her. Now again on May 20th, Christina disappeared, but even weirder than that is that Ronald's cottage caught on fire. Ronald was out at the time, and he came back to find his cabin in flames and to only find a disoriented Jack sitting in the cabin with an apparent head injury, and then he proceeded to pull him out of the blaze. And that's when they looked for Christina, but couldn't find her, and it wasn't until later on that she was found by Neville Sweet. So let's do a quick little recap of what happened with Christina. We don't know, but what we can assume is that she was not there when the fire began at the cottage. There was no burns on her body, and... From accounts that I can discover, there were no signs of smoke inhalation either. So did she start the fire? Did Ronald kill her, knock out his best friend, and then start the fire himself only to come back to play hero? Well, obviously, we don't know. We don't know. This is an unsolved crime. But those are the circumstances that are happening at the moment. But like any good mystery, there is a surprise witness. Major Lawrence Scardfield who tried to put out the fire earlier in the cottage, but he said he saw no signs of Christina's body when he went to go fetch water from the river to help put the flames out. So, again, that leaves a very small window for Christina's body to be discovered, to have been left there, and to have ultimately been murdered. 
Naturally, Jack and Ronald and about 20 other people were questioned by police in connection with the case. Jack, also known as John in this case, remember this is back in the 40s when John's and Jack's were interchangeable. My granddad's name is John. However, everybody calls him Jack. I still don't really know why, but I guess that's an investigation for another day. Anyway, Jack was interrogated by the police for three hours after being released from the hospital where he was treated for burns, shock, and a head injury after an apparent drugging. Jack does claim to not remember anything that occurred after 11 a.m. on the day of Christina's death. Ronald was also questioned by the police for a grueling 13 hours in which he provided a 3,000 word statement that the police would describe as fantastic. Now, it took him 13 hours to write 3,000 words. I believe I've done 3,000 words in about two hours before. So, dude, get your fucking typing skills up, man. God. Actually, probably hand wrote that. But still, that's not that much. Anyway, I'm going way too long on how long 3,000 words should take. About a month after the death occurred, on June 19th, an inquest into Christina's death began, which became quite the spectacle. The public packed not only the courtroom, but the grounds outside, and even approached Jack and Ronald, the two main witnesses. But the shocking thing is, they asked them for autographs. Now, this isn't like a Johnny Depp and Amber Heard situation here, where they're getting booed because they're criminals, just like Amber Heard is at the moment, but rather they're being celebritized. I don't know if that's a word, I might have just made that up, but regardless, they're being asked for autographs, which is very strange. But I guess it's important to note here that neither Jack nor Ronald were on trial for murder. This was simply a case to determine whether or not foul play had been involved in Christina's death at all. While the highly sensationalized investigation uncovered many interesting bits of information, the jury of the inquest ultimately could not agree on whether Christina's death was the result of foul play or not, stating, quote, Due to the fact that the post-mortem examination disclosed codeine in the stomach of the deceased and due to the suspicious fact that she was found drowned, this jury is unable to decide on the evidence given whether or not foul means were employed in her death. So what does that mean? Well, that means Jack and Ronald were free to go. They were in the clear, scot-free, whatever you want to call it. There was no evidence implicating that either of the men had anything to do with the death but their relationship to both Christina and each other were thoroughly exposed in the process. The police report claims that there were signs and evidence that Christina was very distressed by the, quote, unnatural conduct of her husband and Barry. I don't know why I said it like that, but that's what they came to conclude. So it is safe to assume that, given the time again, the term unnatural probably means homosexual. So there are a couple theories on what happened, but I'm going to throw mine out before I read any of the popular ones. And that is obviously that Jack and Ronald were homosexual lovers and that basically Christina was his beard. The trio more likely than not had their fair share of threesomes, which probably made Christina quite uncomfortable due to the fact that, again, speculating, Jack and Ronald spent most of those threesomes together ignoring Christina. Now, from my understanding, this is not an uncommon thing for when people are gay, but they don't want to admit it, or they're afraid to really come out of the closet, or whatever the case might be. They hide it with threesomes, or orgies, or group sex, where it's kind of okay for 
people of the same sex to touch. As long as there's a female there, it's not necessarily gay. And that's an unfortunate way to live your life, but you know, I'm not living in 1947. So that's my theory, is that Christina was becoming very uncomfortable with the way Jack and Ronald were acting towards each other, so they had a fight, and they probably killed her together. That's my guess. But let's go into some more of the more popular theories. One of the most popular theories is that Christina may have been dealing with mental illness and, well, killed herself. And the largest piece of evidence for that are several suicide notes written prior to her untimely end that were uncovered during the investigation. The first note was written on Easter Sunday before their engagement and about five weeks before the wedding, and it was addressed to Ronald. In it, she writes that she tried to poison herself and talks about the uncertainty of receiving a proposal from Jack. In it, she claims, quote, this will be the best way out, as I cannot bear to see another girl have him, end quote. Jack recalls Christina being sick that day, but claimed in his testimony that he was unaware of the suicide note. She wrote another suicide note at the end of April. This time, her intention, as detailed in the note, was not to only kill herself, but Jack as well. In this note, also addressed to Ronald, she wrote, When you love something or someone, you really love him, and I know there is no one for me but Jack. And if I cannot have him, I do not intend anyone else to either. I waited, as you might say, in the hope that Jack would ask me to marry him. But I now realize I am just a passing fancy. The last note was written the day before she died, and it addressed a Mr. Thomas who owned a home in Mimico that Christina and Jack stayed in for a little bit. Once done, Christina asked Roland to mail the letter she wrote. In it, she writes... Ronnie is in the boat outside somewhere. By the time he gets back, everything will be all over. He must have been afraid something would happen because he's staying an extra day to make sure we get back to Toronto with him. All notes were confirmed by a handwriting expert to be signed by Christina. Ronald held on to all three notes, but he never told Jack about them until the inquest. Strangely, Ronald was able to hold on and save them from the fire when his cottage burned down. And now comes the theory of murder. And that involves Jack and Ronald. And it also involves something called insurance, which whenever that happens, you know some shady shit is going to go down. Never take life insurance out on somebody else without telling them, because that's just fucking weird. If you take a million dollar life insurance policy out on your wife and then she dies the next day, you're going to fucking jail. So don't do it. Just, just don't fucking kill people, man. It's just not worth it. Now, the first bit of evidence that suggests the duo may have planned this is a series of insurance policies purchased before Christina's death. Jack took out two separate life insurance policies on himself and Christina before the marriage. Each 5,000 Canadian dollar policy contained a double indemnity clause, which would allow the beneficiary to collect twice the amount if the cause of death was an accidental thing, a sum worth around 200,000 US dollars today. Strangely, Ronald was the beneficiary listed on both policies. Ronald has also taken out a 5,000 Canadian dollar insurance policy on his cottage that would later mysteriously burn down and named Jack as his beneficiary. It should be noted that Ronald had failed careers in both construction and insurance. Additionally, the inquest revealed that Jack had given his war gratuity a payment to the Canadian serviceman when discharged to Ronald and that Jack had removed all of his family from his will for reasons unknown. 
Christina's wedding ring became a suspicious detail in the inquest as well, as it was never recovered. It's unknown the origins of the ring, as some suggest maybe Ronald purchased the ring for Christina, or Jack might have even borrowed the ring from a married friend. And the true price of the ring is also debated, ranging from $1,000 to $13,000 back in 1947, so approximately $6 trillion today. Nevertheless, it was never found after Christina's death. Jack's statement to the police after the fire was nothing short of fascinating. In the statement, Jack states that he and Ronald had been in an intimate relationship for some time. Here we go. However, in court, Jack claimed he was coerced to make that statement as the police wanted to build that theory into their report. The police commissioner did, in fact, touch on this relationship in the report of Christina's case. In it, he writes that the relationship between Jack and Ronald was, to put it mildly, to be unnatural, quote unquote. There was no evidence to prove that this relationship went that way, but it was highly suspected. In the inquest, Crown Counsel C.P. Hope didn't believe Jack was coerced and suggested that the two were actually lovers. Jack finally agreed to this after Hope hammered him with questions. The Toronto Star describes the questioning in an article from June 20th, when Kettlewell, after vigorously questioning him, agreed with Mr. Hope's repeated suggestions that he and Ronald were male lovers. The fantastic triangle of twisted and thwarted emotions took shape, and that is a direct quote. So, one of the popular theories is that yes, they were lovers, and that yes, they colluded to kill Christina so that they could spend some time together. And this wasn't unnoticed by Christina's family either, as her sister, Helen Mokon, at the time said, quote, When Jack and Christina got married, we thought it was very strange that Barry went along on the honeymoon. That's what made us wonder if Ronnie was also in love with Chris, but they had it backwards. More likely, Ronald was in love with Jack and not Christina. And that's it. That's all I got for you this week. What do you think actually happened to Christina? Maybe, maybe it was a mixture of all three circumstances. Maybe Christina did kill herself. And maybe Jack and or Ronald had something to do with the fire. Maybe it was all just a weird coincidence. Maybe they killed her. I don't know. We'll never know. Nobody was ever charged for this. And most people believe that, yeah, she did end up killing herself, most likely after finding Jack and Ronald being intimate together without her. That would be my suggestion. But again, I don't know. The life insurance thing really makes you wonder that, hmm, yeah, there could be something fishy going on with that as well. But again, that's all I got for you. My name is Casey, and this has been the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave a five-star rating on Spotify. There's no reviews yet, and you can only do it through mobile. But if you do do that, please let me know via social media somewhere, and I will give you the biggest, warmest, happiest shout-out, no demand. So far, a bunch of people have done it, so thank you to those who have. You can still leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, if you feel so inclined. Any five-star reviews will be read out on the show, so another great way to get a shout-out. Lastly, if you do want to get in touch with me on social media, you can do so on Twitter at HorrorShotsProd is in production, on Instagram at OminousOriginsPod, or on Facebook at HorrorShots. Now, the community on Facebook has been growing quite a bit for some reason. I don't know why, but thank you to all those who have liked the page in the last month. I think about a hundred of you, so that's fucking great. Thank you for that as well. So, until next time.